0: So this is the last sermon on possessing the land. Next week we're going to start another series. Um, And I'm excited about that next week's series. I've been talking about it and chewing it over and thinking about it for a couple of weeks now. And so we'll be starting uh, a new one next week. Um, And this one will flow sort of onto it because we want to talk more deeply about what it is to be a friend of God, what it is to have the presence of God in your life. And so um, this kind of living in the land, possessing the land, it's all about possessing the land with Jesus, walking with Jesus, learning to live with Jesus, have that lovely presence of God in your lives. Um, So we're going to talk today about deception. Uh, Watch out for deception, walking in the truth. And I want you to turn into your Bibles to Joshua chapter 9, verses 1 to 16. So if you don't have a Bible with you, get next to somebody who does have a Bible. Have you got a Bible? Okay. Now we're starting in Joshua chapter 9. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Joshua, Deuteronomy, Joshua. So it's in the front of the New Testament. Joshua, sorry, Old Testament, just just checking if you're listening. You are, that's good. Joshua chapter 9 verses 1 to 16. And I'm reading from verse 1. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, what things did they hear about? Well, they heard about what happened in Jericho. They heard about what happened across the Jordan. They heard about what happened in Egypt. They heard about the children of Israel walking around in the desert. They heard about them coming into the promised land. They heard about all the things that Joshua had done. They heard about the battle of Ai. They heard about all of these things. And the kings of the west of the Jordan knew that they were next. There's this body of people, a a great nation is moving towards them and they knew that they were the next to be conquered. They were the next in line. Uh, The kings of the hill country in the western foothills and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done it to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, we have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. So how can we have a, a, make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? And they answered, your servants have come from a very distant country. Because of the fame of the Lord your God, we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of Amorites east of the Jordan, Sheon, king of Heshborn, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Asheroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants and make a treaty with us. The bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that are filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and our sandals are worn out, but they were by the very long journey. And the Israelites sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to live, to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by an oath. So it became law. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were their neighbors. They lived near them. So that's, the account that we're going to deal with today you can see that deception was an act of war Joshua in Joshua chapter 9 verse 2 it says and they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel they came together to wage war and in the process of coming together to wage war they decided to deceive Israel and Joshua deception is what a ruse is. It says, However, when the people of Gibeon heard... Now, the Gibeonites were Hivites. Hivites were one of the tribes that was mentioned there. Gibeonites was a town that belonged to the the group of nations that were Hivites. Hivites, if you go back to the root, means the word life. Life, to live. They wanted to live. The Hivites, the Gibeonites, wanted to live. They didn't want to contest in war. They wanted to set, it It says they resorted to a ruse. Now, who knows what ruse means? Who doesn't know what ruse means? Okay, that's more like it. Yeah, a ruse is is an interesting um, word. A ruse is a deception. A ruse, everybody say ruse. A ruse is a deception. Okay. A ruse is a deception. So if I, if I tell you a ruse, I'm actually telling you a lie. I'm telling you a lie. So a ruse is a deception. It's an action or a plan which is intended to deceive somebody. And it's done in this case as an act of war. In fact, all deception is an act of war. So there's a number of different ways that the enemy can come and have battle with us. And one of the ways that the devil might try and have a battle with this is to deceive us. We know that in war, in war times, a lot of deception is used to deceive the enemy into thinking certain things. Because if you can deceive the enemy, you can take him by surprise and you can kill him. So deception is used widely in war. And there's kind of five ways that the, that deception is used in war. And I want to talk to you about them and just show you how the devil uses those five ways. There's five types of deception used by Satan. There's the feigned retreat. Now the feigned retreat is the, is the part where, you know, Israel used it last week and Ai. Ai they went to the front of the, 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 the city of Ai. And then when, the, when uh, the king came out, he started to chase them. Israel ran backwards. The retreat. Oh, we're scared. We're, we're running away from you. And of course, they kept on coming out after them. That was a ploy to get them away from the city because they have a force behind them to come in behind them and to cut them off from the city, to kill the city, and to destroy them. It was a play, it was a deception, it was a feigned retreat. So Joshua used it against Ai, and the devil uses it against us. He sometimes, you know, we are meant to be followers of Jesus, okay? You know, One of the things that I I found really interesting when I was younger was the fact that we've got power in Jesus and Jesus gives us the victory, amen? Amen. And you can speak to demons and demons will leave when you command them to leave. I remember one day um, in our youth meeting there was a young guy that came onto the street and he was completely, utterly affected by a demon, evil spirit. He wanted to fight, he wanted to fight me. I remember it really clearly. We were in Hallowell Road, that's where we had this... uh, he was standing there and he wanted to fight me. And I said to him, I said, you, do you want to fight? He says, yeah, I want to fight. I said, you know, how about you fight Jesus? I said, because I'm not going to fight. How about you fight Jesus? This guy started screaming and he fell on the ground. And I, I went over and I prayed for him. And I commanded the evil spirit that was affecting him to leave. And it left like that. And he got up and he didn't want to fight anymore. And he wanted to sit down and he gave his heart to Jesus. You say, oh, all right, we've got Victory. You know, we're to follow Jesus. And then when we follow Jesus, the, devil, the devil's come and we can command the devil to leave and it, will, and it will go. We can resist the devil and it will flee. You've got power in the name of Jesus. You know, you know what the temptation is? The temptation is this. You stop following Jesus and you start looking for devils. You, know, you lose the point. You lose the point of what it's all about. The devil says, oh, I'm scared, I'm scared. And so everywhere you're looking, you're looking for a demon. You're looking for a devil. You're going to find a devil somewhere. You know? and so all your life you, you spend just looking for demons. You're looking for, for some sort of threat. You don't have to worry, the devil will find you. <laughs> you don't have to go looking for him. You just have to follow Jesus. And in your following Jesus, you'll encounter him. And when you encounter him, deal with him. Don't go hunting for him. Don't go looking for him. He'll come and find you. Remember, the devil tempted Jesus and and he went through all the temptations. And and then it says in Luke chapter 4, Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. He was coming back. He's going to return. So you don't have to go looking for him. There's There's a deception in the retreating demon there's a deception in our lives that that you can start honing in on something and start chasing something we're going to find demons everywhere and look at for demons everywhere and chase demons everywhere you know you need to stop what does jesus want you to do going forward and when a demon crosses your way tell it to leave you got that so it's a feigned retreat so one of the things a distraction probably that that the devil puts in your way another another strategy of war is what we call fictional units. In the Six-Day War in Israel, they used this sort of uh, tactic to win. Now, the Arabs were coming to push them into the sea. And the the Israelites didn't, they only just, 1948, they only just established themselves in the land and they knew they didn't have the firepower. They didn't have the military force to resist an attack. So what they did is they made tanks. They turned old tanks around and they made tanks with sort of like paper mache, big ones, you know, big ones. And they deceived the armies that were coming towards them. So when the armies coming towards them looked, they looked through their binoculars and they could see these huge tanks and they thought, nah, we're not going there. We'll get blown up if we go there. But the the tanks were only made out of cardboard. They weren't real. They deceived. The act was to deceive I heard in the history of another man who was, who was caught up in a corner there and he wanted to deceive his far greater enemy that he had many troops there. He could get horses, a pack of horses out with riders on it and he could get them out secretly at night time and he could ride them into the fort during the day in full view of the enemy. So all day and all night he rode these horses round and round in circles. The enemy couldn't see them leaving. All it saw was them coming in. And they started putting up tents and putting up tents and putting up tents. And as they did that, the enemy thought there was far more people in there than they had even reckoned before. And they were deceived and they backed away, retreated because of the deception. Now, the devil does that all the time with us. He puts things up and makes them bigger. You know, you get a lot of fear in your life coming from the fact that you think that the devil is much stronger than he is. Is a demon there? <gasps> Oh, demons, yeah, I'm scared of them. Why? Because you're listening. You're fa- There's a feigned unit there. It's like he saying, oh, look how strong I am. And you're standing there. Doesn't the Bible say resist the devil and he will flee from you? Then why are you trembling and shaking in your boots? You see, you have believed the deception. You believe that you're weaker and he's stronger. Anything that comes at you from a demonic force, you think you can't resist it. It's terrible. You don't have to shake in your boots. Remember, we were singing today, greater is he that is in us. We are singing, you know, we're victors in Christ. We're more than overcomers. We're, we, that's the truth. That's the truth. So anything that presents itself to you and, and, and makes you fear is something that is faint. Faint means it's just made up. It's not real. Faint means it's created in your mind. Just create something in your mind and you'll run away from it. That's how fear works. You see a little child and a little child will, will you see it's scared of something. It's scared that it's going to you know, hurt itself or something and you see it won't go near it. And then you, then you put it in its mouth and it tastes it and it's, it's not vegetables. It's ice cream. They have no more fear of it anymore. And just open their mouths every time for the ice cream. Ask Miller. No, I was only joking. Not really. A little bit. <laughs> so the feigned thing is the danger. So that's a, the that's a ploy that the devil uses. You know, it says in Romans uh, 1 John 4, 4, it says, You have guided the children and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, you don't have to get scared of what's coming at the world. Look, look, because of the fear of what's happening in these last days, men's hearts are failing them. Men are getting heart attacks because they're looking at the world, they're listening to the news. They listen to the news and they think about what could be happening in the world today and they get so frightened on the inside that their hearts start to fail them. The scripture says that's what's going to happen. Your heart doesn't need to fail you with fear. The thing that is presenting itself to you is not greater than you. You are greater than it. And while you go through hard times, they can't destroy you because we are more than overcomers; we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us, tells us in Romans chapter eight, verse thirty-seven. It says, "If we endure with Him, we will also reign with Him." And says in Revelation chapter five, verses nine to ten, it says, "And they sang a new song. This is the, the saying: You are worthy to take the scroll and open the seal." You were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. This is talking about the church. Out of every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every people, you have made us kings and priests to our God. That's who we are. We're rulers and reigners in Christ. So there's no point for fear. The devil will try and scare you with its fictional units. He'll set himself up and and huff and blow and, 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 and try and get you to retreat. But you don't have to retreat. Another way that uh, deception is used in war times is called the smoke screen. The smoke screen. They usually let off a smoke bomb. And, and when the smoke goes up, you can't see it because of all the smoke, all the fog. And underneath the fog, they're scurrying around doing what they have to do. They have predetermined what they're going to do. So they set it off and off they go. They start moving the troops while you can't see them. All you can see is the fog. You can't see anything else. And we've got to be, be aware that the devil uses smoke screen to try and deceive us. It presents things to us. It looks like that's real. Isn't it real? And you go and wipe it. It's not real. You can put your hand through it. It's not substantial, it's just a, a vapor. It's just a smoke screen to, to deceive you, to set you off guard. There's a lot of smoke screen. Can you give me one or two smoke screens out there that are in the world that we get deceived by? Don't throw me one. Money. Money can be a smoke. You think, if I only had money, I would be very happy. That's a deception. It looks like that's going to It's a smoke screen. And then when you win the money, guess what? It doesn't give you the happiness. Sorry? Ask Parker. Oh, James Packer, yeah. Ask James Packer. He's not happy. He's fighting with his mate outside his... He's not happy. He's got all the money and he's still punching. He got fined $500 for beefing up his mate outside his place. No, you know, see, money won't make you happy. It's a smoke screen. You can spend your whole time chasing that thing and it, still won't, it, won't, give, it won't deliver because it's nothing. It's nothing. It's a smoke screen. You know, uh, sometimes when we look at life in churches, we think our church is not dead. Why? Our church is not alive because it's not like maybe a church down the road. And what's happening in the church down the road? The church down the road, all the young people are jumping up and down like this, you know? Everywhere they go, they're jumping up and down like this. The music's playing, you know, and everybody's moving themselves and everybody's going like this. And if only our church was like moving like that, then we'd be alive, you know? Sometimes that's a smokescreen. It appears that they are alive, but only God knows the heart. Only God knows what's going on inside. I'm not going to say they're dead, but in the Bible it says they have appearance of life, but they are dead. They look like they are clothed, but they are naked. So you can do all this sort of stuff. If this is just an expression of some sort of fleshly excitement and you have nothing in your spirit with regard to God, you might look like you're alive, but in reality, You are dead. It's a smokescreen. And the devil will use a smokescreen like that to deceive you. He will say, yeah, I don't mind if you jump up and down in church. I don't mind if you do all the rituals in church. I don't mind if you do all the things that look like they have a form of God in this, but they have no power. I don't mind. Get caught with them. It's just a smokescreen to reality. You see, there's lots of stuff out there that can deceive us. There's the Trojan horse. You heard about the Trojan horse? Troy, yeah, it's a horse. It's a wooden horse, a big wooden horse. In Greek mythology, I think it is. Isn't it Greek mythology? They, 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 uh, Helen of Troy, uh, they were inside this big city and and uh, they wanted to get inside to attack the city. And, of course, they couldn't get inside the city because the walls were too big. So they said, let's deceive the king inside the city. Let's make a big present for him. And so they made this huge horse. This is a horse that was... a was maybe two or three stories high. It was beautifully made. It was lovely carved and set up, in the, and it had wheels on it. And inside the belly of the horse, it was empty, and there was seats sitting inside so that soldiers could sit inside the, the horse. So when they made this, they bought this great big horse to the front of the gates like a big gift to the people. The people looked out over the top of the walls and saw this great big horse and said, Oh, what a wonderful looking horse. A big horse with wheels on it. Boy, I'd like to ride that horse. We could put it in the middle of our square and we could have fun. They're giving us a gift, which is like a horse with wheels. Lovely. Now, the army had run away because there was no army left, so they thought, well, maybe this is a peace treaty. And so they went out and they pulled that big horse with the wheels into the city and shut the doors behind it. Well, in the middle of the night, there was a creaking sound, and the bottom of the horse opened up, and down dropped the stairs, and all the soldiers ran out and opened the gates. The army came and, and took the whole place. A Trojan horse looks like it's something, but inside its belly, there's something else. So if you came to me and said, Mark, I got a gift for your Christmas present, I've got the latest Xbox. Who'd like the latest Xbox? Put your hand up if you'd like the latest Xbox. If you, is, it, is it good? Hey? Yeah, I'd like it. He can't have it, but he would like it. Maybe, maybe if I had the money, I could buy it for you. See, if you had all the money and you, you say, I'll buy you the latest Xbox, you know, on the days off that you have, you could just play Xbox. I don't even know what it plays. What do you play on Xbox? Anyway, I think, me thinks that if I got an Xbox, I would be getting a Trojan horse. Who would agree with me? It's, it's like you're saying to me, Mark, I've got a present for your anniversary. This is your, your um, maybe it's your 20th year anniversary for the church, and we've got a present for you, Mark, just to show you that we just appreciate all the work that you've done for Jesus. And you bought me a TV screen that was six foot by eight foot high, flat TV screen, the latest Con on TV think the big huge screen and we're gonna just wheel it into your house. How that we just cause you love you so much, Mark. We paid eight thousand dollars for this big screen, it's yours. And you know what I think I'm you know what, you know what I think I'm getting? I'm getting a Trojan horse. You know why I'm getting a Trojan horse? Because when you put the screen up, it's okay, it might look alright if I hang flowers on it or if I put yeah. pictures on the front of it. No, but if I turn it on, there's something coming inside my house that's not invited. You see, so what What comes into my house is the thing that I have to deal with. So a Trojan horse has a lovely appearance. That's my granddaughter. Isn't she gorgeous? Yeah. She's a good singer. Take her out and smack her. <laughs> that's a Trojan horse. A, ho- a Trojan horse is something that that you, you you embrace and you think, well, that's lovely. But later on you find there's something else that's coming through it that you don't want in your house. Trojan horse. The devil does that all the time. Oh, you want to get money, you get, so you get money. You want to have a good business that goes really well, so you get a good business that goes, think, yeah, this is fantastic. I've got, I, I want to get a good business so it goes really well. And you get a good business, it goes really well, and you start earning lots of money. Guess what? You might just have in your hand a Trojan horse. Because all the problems that come associated with the wealth, all the problems that come associated with the finances, all the time that it's going to take. You know, and Jesus says, lay not up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and, moth, moth, moth and rust to destroy. Lay up yourself treasure in heaven. He say, you know, he say, well, you know, I'm just so busy with the work that I, I, I can't get to church every Sunday, Mark, because you know, my business is calling me and I have lots of things to do. you just got a Trojan horse taken you away from god the devil uses trojan horses a lot materialism is a trojan horse it's good to have materialistic it's nice to be able to give stuff away if you've got it but it's a trojan horse with it the cares and the worries of things they come with it so there's there's problems there associated with what about the fifth one, it's called a strategic envelopment, which is exactly what happened. The running away is, is part of the defeat. You know, the, you know, when the enemy is running away and he's saying, I'm, I'm, "I'm, chase me, chase me, chase me," that's the the feigned retreat. Well, the strategic envelopment is is a combination of the retreat or a distraction, while something else comes around and gets you behind behind. So if you if you look at it, it's like this: it, you, you get caught with the detail on something and you miss the big point the devil does this a lot with uh with uh, with um problems in the church and, and 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 we we start saying "Oh know well, here's the detail here's the detail and we start picking at the detail and then we lose the fact that what's happening in the congregation is because we're picking at the detail we're losing unity we're losing the sense of being one together so the devil destroys the unity in church because we think that we have to pick at the detail. We spend all this time saying, well, this doctrine and that doctrine and this doctrine and that doctrine. And we fight with one another. We argue with one another on words and stuff. And he says, ah, I got you. Ah, destroying you. Why? I'm destroying the unity because you have, I'm, I've got you. Round you see. I'm gonna, I wanted to destroy you with this unity. The way I'm doing, I'm getting you focusing on the doctrine, and the doctrine has got to be right. And you're arguing with each other on non-essential issues. Then you have to destroy each other because you don't see the ploy behind it. He envelops you. That's the way he does it. He's cunning, isn't he? He's sure cunning. So the Gibeonites had a, a smokescreen. This was a smokescreen. What was the process of the deception that the Gibeonites used against Joshua? There was a plan set in place. So they actually sat down and they thought, you know, how are we going to get Joshua and the Israelites to let us live? How are we going to do that? I want, I want you to think clearly about the demonic realm. It is real. And there is a strategy at at foot and a plan. There are schemes at foot to destroy you. Most definitely. If you don't pay attention to your walk in God, if you don't pay attention to the discipline of your life, your godly life in God, if you don't listen to the voice of God's Spirit, if you don't walk with God, there's a plan and a strategy that's set out to destroy you. They got together about your life and they've talked about how they're going to get you hmm, you weren't there, you didn't hear it, but the devil is scheming. The devil has a plan, and he's working very carefully. He knows you because he knows all the things he got, got you to do before. Every demonic presence in hell is on task. They're unified, they're on task, and they're looking at you, and they're thinking, how can we make you fall? They're setting up plans. They're setting up plans to deceive you. They're setting up a ruse. They're setting up a deception around your life. That's what they're doing. If, you deceive, if you're deceived to think that the devil's not really there, he doesn't care whether you believe he's alive or not. He's already got you if you don't believe he exists. You know, that's just your thoughts, the thing that's talking into your head that's telling you to do the wrong thing. It's just your mind, the thing that's sitting on your shoulder telling you to commit adultery, telling you to, to steal, telling you to swear, telling you to, to do the thing that's wrong. It's just you. Well, the devil doesn't mind if you, think you, if you think it's just you. He's quite happy with you thinking it's something else and not him. But every demon in hell is, has got together and talked about how they can make Jerome fall, how they can set Jerome up for a fall. There's a strategy Paul says to us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we are not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant of his schemes. Paul was not ignorant that the devil was at work trying to cause him to fall. He understood that and he resisted him accordingly. If you don't resist the devil, if you just coast through life and don't recognize that the devil has a plan, he will take you out. There will be things that come across your life. There will be things that come into your mind and they are there. The devil will put them there and he's designed them to take them out. Whether it's feigned retreat, whether it's, whether it's a smokescreen, uh whether it's some, uh, you know, something that's not real coming up and presenting itself to you, whatever it is, it will take you out. If you ignore it, you have to be on your guard. That's why Jesus says, be alert, watch, be alert, be watchful. So they set a plan in place. And the plan was a deception. They lived next door, but they made it look like they lived far away. They got moldy bread, they got old wineskins, they got old clothes, They got everything old and they put it all together and said, we will deceive them to think that they were many miles away. So that they will create a... They they knew that if the Israelites gave them the license to live, then they would live. They knew they were men of their word. They knew it. So they exercised that ploy. They deceived by appearance. And, you know, I kind of find it's interesting because... When you look down uh, and you read what it says, they kind of had an unction that this is not right, you know. They had this sort of prompt inside. The Israelites said, but maybe, but maybe you live close to us. The first intent was, eh, I don't feel real happy about this. You know, maybe they live close to us. When they first saw it, and isn't God good the way he does that? He sits within you, he's there within you, and he gives you a little nudge. Hey, hey, listen, don't believe what you're seeing. They, they, the Israelites say, you know, maybe they live close to us. We can see the old clothes, we can see the old shoes, we can see the moldy bread, we can see the, the cracked wine skins. but maybe they, they, they had a sense of what was right already. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit lives within us, and he gives us the sense and the knowledge of truth. If we just listen to him, He's there within us. so they're deceived by appearance, and then they told lies continuously. They said, well, "Where are you from? Well oh, we're from far, far away.'re ser- you're, 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 we're your servants and we've come a long way you know. and then Joshua says, well, "Where are you come from?" And they told lies again, told lies again. And the Bible says that they did not the Israelites did not inquire of the Lord. What that tells me is that they made a judgment by what their eyes was telling them. They they were deceived by what they saw. So what was the purpose of the deception? The Gibeonites did not want to be killed. Well, all the people in Ai were killed. All the people in Jericho were killed, except for Rahab and her family and all those that took, Refuge in Rahab's house. Everybody died. They knew that the kings that had gone before them had all been killed. So what would you do if this great army was coming toward you and you had heard how they had destroyed everybody and they had a mandate from God to destroy everybody, wipe them all out. Don't leave, don't leave anybody alive. Don't make any treaties. With, they were told not to make treaties. Deuteronomy chapter 7 God told them specifically, do not make a treaty with the Hittites, the Girgashites, and all the other Amorites. Do not make a treaty with them. Don't give their daughters. Don't don't intermarry with them. They'll turn you from the living God. So Joshua already knew he wasn't to make a treaty. So why why was he deceived? He was deceived because he didn't inquire of God. He looked at the way things were and figured what they were saying was the truth. They must have come from a very long, faraway place. So they're not going to be our neighbours so we can let them live. And The purpose of the deception was exactly that, to get a peace treaty. Now, How does this work for us today? The devil doesn't want you to go out and have all-out war with everything that comes from him. He's trying to get you to get a peace treaty going. You know, he knows that you have the power and the ability in Christ to overcome every single thing that comes against you. There is nothing that can undo you in Jesus. He knows that. In fact, the Bible tells me that the devil is is thrashing around because he knows his days are short in Revelation. He's scared. We know he's scared. Like the the people in Ao were scared, like the people in Jericho were scared. The people in Gibeon were scared. They were scared because they knew that the Israelites had the power to completely destroy them. The devil knows you have the power to completely destroy him in your life. You can break his chains. You can walk free. You can have nothing of him left on your life. You can walk free and walk in God in a new and living way. He knows that you can take him out for good. But he's scared that he will lose influence in your life. So, how's he going to maintain influence in life? He's got to come out, somehow make a peace treaty with you, he's going to deceive you so that you'll let him live. Now how does he do that? He wants you to compromise, to become half hearted about things. They knew they were going to get destroyed. It says in Second Chronicles chapter 16 verse 9, if you're writing like Second Chronicles chapter 16 verse 9, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. What does that say? It says that God is looking for a man or a woman. He's looking throughout the whole world or a man or a woman who's made a decision that their heart is going to be wholeheartedly for God. I mean we, we read in in Matthew when we read about what God wants he says this is how it sums up the whole thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. So this idea of loving God with all your heart is there again presented. God is looking for wholehearted followers. That means everything inside you given to God, everything you've committed to God, everything you said, God, God, I just want you. I don't want anything else. I just want you. The devil doesn't like that because he knows that if you're wholehearted and you're committed to God, God has found himself somebody who will partner with him and walk with him and talk with him. He found a wholehearted man in Abraham. Abraham said, I just want you, God. You are my inheritance, God. I'm looking for a city whose maker is, is God. Who's, is, is not, I'm, I'm going to walk out of here. I'm going to a promised land. I'm looking for you, God. Wholehearted for God. Doesn't matter what. Just want God. God says, I can work with that. I can work with that. Let's let's go. Let's do that. I'm partnering with Jesus. God is looking for men and women who will partner with him. And the devil says, you know what? How can we stop that? You know, if this guy gives his whole heart to Jesus, there's nothing going to stop him. He's going to do us some great damage. I know what we do. We find something in his life that he doesn't want to give away. Something in his life that he's not willing to give up something in his life that he likes, that he wants to play with. Let's see if we can get a peace treaty with that thing in him. And if we can get a peace treaty with that thing in him, he's not wholehearted, he's only half-hearted. And then we got him because he can't do what God wants him to do because God's looking for wholehearted people. So he tries to find a treaty with something from your past. That you take into the future. That you're not willing to let go of. Something that will undermine your walk forward. The Bible tells us that there should be no treaties with the devil. Have no treaties with the enemy. They told them that in in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And in Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 to 6 we read these words. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you used yourself once walked when you lived with them. So he's saying, you've got to become to that place where you can, I, I, I want to give you my whole heart, God. Not just part of it, I want to give you my whole heart. Everything inside of me I'm going to give you. The devil's looking for a treaty. So what's the defense against deception? What do you think the the, the defense against deception is? Truth. Having the truth. Communication with God. If they failed because they, it says, they did not inquire of the Lord, then the defense would be in the inquiring of God. If the devil's smart, and he is very smart, he's got the wisdom of the ages with him, he knew you from when you were born, and he knows every time you did something wrong because he set it up for you. So he knows you better than you know yourself. He's pretty smart. Don't think he's powerful because of his smartness. You have more power because of Jesus, but he's smart. He's smart, and he can deceive you. He can deceive you if you let him. So the thing that you have to recognize is that you are prone to deception. You're able to be deceived. And because you are prone to deception and able to be deceived, you have to then snuggle close to the truth of God's word. You have to get near to God and you have to ask God all the time. Is this right or is it wrong, God? What do you want me to do here, Lord? Is this right or You know, there are so many people who get the sense in themselves that something's not quite right, but they go ahead anyway. go ahead anyway. John chapter 7 verse 24 says these words. Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. That's the New Living Translation. Or the NIV says, Don't judge by appearances, but judge with a righteous judgment. In 1 John chapter 4 verse 1 it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone into the world. There's lots of things out there that will deceive you. Lots of things that are there designed to take you out. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, it says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Now, this is, what, this is the thing that the Israelites experienced as well in a sense, that they had that sense that there was something not quite right. They had that sense, that anointing with them. The Bible says you have the anointing from the, you have the Holy Spirit within you, and you know the truth. I mean, you don't have to know the facts; you can just have this unrest in your gut, unrest in your gut. How often do you listen to the unrest in your gut? Put your hand on your tummy. Okay, just front there. That's where you're going to feel it. Unsettled feeling not quite happy with things it's not just making sense I don't know what it is it's just something not quite right you need to come and you need to say that's God's light on the inside shining on the inside telling me to ask the question of God this is not to be suppressed This is not to be put down. This is not to be dismissed as being, oh, it's just me. That looks so nice. I think that I want that. This is to be listened to because the voice of God speaks to you because he cleansed your consciences from dead works to serve a living God. Inside, you will have the first testimony of what's right and what's wrong. It will come from here. You might not know why you think it's wrong, but you will feel that it's wrong. In Proverbs chapter. Three verses, five and six. It's a well-known passage of scripture, and I want to read it to you. It says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do." Or the word is, "Acknowledge Him in all you do. Seek His will in all that you do. Ask His opinion." The word acknowledges the word yada, yada. Everybody say yada, 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 yada. yada, yada. It's a Hebrew word, yada. It means to know intimately. Acknowledge, to know intimately. Adam yadded Eve and she bore a son. It's close. It's the words that describe intimate sexual relationship. It also describes knowing someone experientially. It says, acknowledge God or acknowledge the Lord in all your ways. And he will direct your path. Now, wait a minute, listen. The deception is out there. Everything is not as it seems to be. It's like the matrix. Everything is around you. You look and see what is real and what is not real. Well, I don't know. You just, you know, are you real? Are you fair dinkum? Are you a a strong Christian? Well, I'm getting the appearance that you are, but I don't know. I could wake up tomorrow and I could find out that you've been deceiving me all along. What is real out there? I can't tell, but God knows what's real. And if I know Him and acknowledge Him and ask Him, He will direct my path. He will make me have the right foot in the right place at the right time. But I've got to ask Him. If I don't inquire of the Lord, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to go from one deception to the next deception. I'm going to waste my time going round and round in circles, lost. Because I've got no path forward. Is this walk with Jesus that you're meant to be embracing on and this walk into the promised land is a walk of relationship whereby we are joining with God, walking with God into a new place to become fully hearted, full hearted with God. and say, God, you just take me, use me for what you want. James, Bamford system, I just want to be your man, God, for your time and your generation. I just want that with all of my heart. Don't sell me anything else. I just want that. That's what God is looking for. And the devil's trying to set up in front of James all the other things he could do in life that could distract him from that purpose so that at the end of the exercise, he lives his life in regret because he doesn't achieve what God created him for. The deceptions are all about you. All kinds of deceptions. And The Bible says the way to actually get past it, the defense of the deception Is to ask God to inquire of God on a daily basis, on a moment by moment basis. What will it mean if I miss this Tuesday night's Bible study? What will it mean if I miss the prayer meeting? Might mean well, I'll just have a day off and go. Ask God. Ask God. Talk to him. He knows the beginning from the end. Oh, well, how will I know? How will I know that he wants me to do something or doesn't want me to do something? A long time ago I decided that I wasn't going to get married. I had been engaged to a woman. She'd gone up to Townsville and when she was in Townsville she wrote a letter and said, "I'm breaking off with you." I'm not going to be engaged to you anymore. Oh, I thought, well, that's just crazy because all the the women in my life up until that point of time had somehow broken my heart. So at the young age, I thought, well, you know what? I just want God in my life. I don't want women in my life. I don't need women in my life. You know, so what? You know what? I'm just going to not get married. So I I, I had this little discussion with God. You know, it's, it's okay with you, God. It's just you and me. Let's forget about the marriage thing. And so off I went. And I did that. I just forgot about the marriage thing. And I got involved with Bible studies and I got involved with leading new converts to the Lord and run, every night we had meetings, I'd take the new convert cases around. I worked hard, doing lots of work, following up lots of kids, leading them to Jesus. I was, I was, I was the man. And one day when I was going down Granadilla Street in McGregor, you'll know that place, i will just come across the bridge at the bottom of Granadilla Street, it's where we used to live, and God said to me, you can't, be single you have to get married you can't do what i want you to do without getting married as i said to god well who will i marry and then he immediately told me jennifer gilleen my wife now i didn't have any great feeling of admiration for her. every time i said and go oh she makes me feel weak at the knees you know it was nothing like that i don't look at her and think wow oh she looked like a little indian squaw she was very very dark in color she was, like, she was like dark brown, and she used to wear white clothes. And she was stunning to look at. She had little green eyes. And, but still, I mean, I'd switch the whole thing off. And so I would see her in the Bible studies, and that was, wasn't interested. And then God told me. Now, this is the significant fact here. For two weeks, I thought, well, I'm going to pray about this, because I don't know whether I should do this or not. Because this, this could be a deception. This could be something that will draw me out and break my heart again. So I don't want to go there and this this is what God wants me to do. So I started to pray about it and I asked God, God, do you want me to go out with Jenny Gilleen and get married to her? Is that what you want me to do? First day? Nothing. Second day? Nothing. First week? Nothing. There wasn't a statement. Yes, Jenny Glean is the one. I already got the word from somewhere. It came, dropped him. uh, And I never even thought about that girl as being my wife ever before. By the end of two weeks, all I knew was there was was a deep-seated peace in my heart. Like every time I thought of Jenny as being my wife, this sense of peace just came into my heart like that. It was like, it's right. There was, there was no sense of, ooh, oh, you know. So I, I went up and I asked her out. You know the story, I've said it before. And, and on the first date, I asked her to marry me. And she said, yes, I suppose. So, and that was that. And here we are. And that's what, how many years now? 30-something years later? 35, 37, I don't know. It's a long time now. I've forgotten, lost count. 30-odd years later. You know, this is what it says in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now, the word rule is the word to be an umpire. What does the umpire do? The umpire looks at a situation and says, in or out? He says, right or wrong? That's what the umpire does. Now, who's going to rule in their hearts? It's the peace of God that's going to rule in your heart. I mean, I'm not looking for words now. I'm looking for a feeling. I'm looking for a sense on the inside. Should I buy that TV set? What do I feel on my inside? Is there an agitation in my spirit, but I want to have it because it's a status symbol for me? Can I really afford it? Can I afford it in terms of my study? Can I afford it in terms of what I want to do in life? Can I really afford this? Is the peace of God there? If it's calm, then it's okay. If it's agitated, then you won't have peace while it's sitting there. The biggest thing in your life will be the problems that you're facing, trying to divide your time up between the TV shows that you are coming streaming into your place and your study. You'll have no peace in your life. If you make, have no peace when you decide to actually get the thing, you'll have no peace once you got it. What about that new job you get? you going for a new job there. Do you have peace in your heart about that? Is this the course that you should be doing? If the peace of God is not there, they won't have peace as you're going through the course. You won't have peace when you finish the course. The peace of God is the umpire tells you whether you're in the right direction or the wrong direction. And that, when you inquire of the Lord, is what you're looking for. You say, God, I want to know what I have to do here. And you then look and you say, Lord, show me. And you you look, what's the peace of God telling you about this situation? Should I go down to Sydney? Should I do such and such and what's your heart telling you? Do I just feel a little bit agitated? Do I follow that or do I follow the, the prompting of God? The only thing that can defend us against the deceptions of the enemy is the peace of God and the word of God. So you come to the word of God and you ask the Lord to show you in his word and you look... He's your spirit for the peace of God. So what happens when we find ourselves in a place where we've made treaties? Oh, okay. It would be nice if we didn't have any make any treaties. But here we are. We've made a treaty after the fact. Oh, dear me. I know that the word of God says that you should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. But just say, just for instance... You got saved after you got married and your partner is not saved. You are now yoked with an unbeliever. You have a treaty with somebody who's not saved. You're told not to have a treaty. Are we going to tell you to get a divorce now? Of course not. You know, I don't believe that the Gibeonites treaty with the Israelites was something that was just there and it's a major failing. You know what I believe? I believe God allowed that to happen to show us something to show us something to do when we find ourselves in a place where we have made a treaty and we shouldn't have made a treaty. When we've tied ourselves up with some finances that we shouldn't have tied ourselves up with. When we, when we put ourselves in a job that we shouldn't have put ourselves... where we've got a partnership with somebody, we shouldn't have a partnership with somebody. When we're in a situation that we shouldn't be, God says, okay, once you get in that situation, I'll tell you what to do with that situation. We, we can't get out of it because we why didn't Joshua say okay you deceived us Gibeonites take them out and kill all the Gibeonites because they deceived us why didn't he do that because he was a man of his word he had said even though he hadn't asked God and it wasn't God's will he said we'll make a treaty of peace with you and then the elders of Israel ratified it so it became law in Israel and they kept their word to their hurt. They kept their word. There's something about keeping your word that God says you have to do. It would have been wrong for, for, for Joshua to kill the Gibeonites. It would have been wrong for the Israelites. They would have, been, they would have established a treaty and then backed out on the treaty. So now they had to live with the treaty they had established. And I think God put it there for, for a reason, for us to know how to live in the, in the situations we get ourselves tied into. He says, okay, you guys can live. You've got the permission to live. But you're going to be serving God. That's what you're going to be doing. You're going to be the woodcutters and the water carriers. And you're going, to, you're going to serve the children of Israel. And you're going to serve the temple of God. That's what you're going to do. And maybe God had a plan for your life that he wanted to make you a preacher that goes around the world preaching, you know, and you decided, no, preaching is not my thing. You don't want to do that. And you decided you're going to take your great zeal and you you become a businessman and and you become a very wealthy businessman. And your business is employing many, many people, looking after many people. And I I really can't extract myself from that now. I'm, I'm, I'm locked in there. You know, God will tell you, okay, you have to keep that going, but make it serve me. Make it serve me. Don't you serve it? You make it serve me. So you got lots of money now. Why do you got Why you got lots of money? Serve God with the money. Don't serve the money with your life. Serve God with the money. You got a good education now. Maybe God didn't want you to have that education. Maybe God just wanted you to go and do something in faith, and you and you went and got that education. Now you got that education. You got all that education and God's saying you know that 's not really what I wanted for you to do, you know I mean I, I, I can still take that it 's like you know I think God is like a GPS you know, you know what I mean when he 's like a GPS I, I, I put my coordinates in there. I want to go to um, Gavin way so I head out from here and I head north well that 's not the way to go. North is not the way to go to Gavin way you have to you go south to gavin way don 't you so i 've been heading north, and what does the GPS Make a U-turn at, and it'll tell me the street to make a U-turn. If I don't, if I decide to go right at the street, it hasn't said, oh, look, uh, disconnected. No, 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 no. A GPS doesn't get angry and disconnect. It's like God. He actually is always forgiving. He says, "I oh, we'll get you around there. He says, uh, uh, take, uh, take this street here and then turn left. Now, I can make mistakes in my turning all along, but if I keep my GPS on, eventually if I keep on taking right moves... It's going to get me closer to where I'm meant to be going. you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes in life you're making wrong turns. Sometimes in life you're making the wrong decisions. Sometimes the wrong you're making wrong alignments. You're making wrong things. You're going in the wrong direction. Not all the times, but sometimes you do. And it's not where God wants you to go in the end. But, you know, God will tell you, okay, now move here, move there. Sometimes you get into, into situations where you're lined up with stuff that you shouldn't be lined up with, and God will tell you, you know what, make them serve you, don't you serve them. Do you understand the difference? It doesn't doesn't mean that it's okay to get yourself unequally yoked. It means that if you're in a situation where you are unequally, unequally yoked or you've got a situation where you're caught in a situation, keep your heart separate. Separation of heart. Recognize that God wants you to have a heart that's solely his. Okay, you're in this horrible place. Separate your heart from it. Separate your heart from it and start following God. Start following God. Say, God, you use me. You, don't have, you have not thrown me away. I know that this has failed in my life. I know that this has happened in my life. I know that I've got this happening in my life. You know, but Lord, if you can use me now, use me now. Take me now. Work with me now. I haven't got what I need to say. I I made mistakes along the way. I got myself chained up with stuff I shouldn't be chained up with. Lord, can you just break those things off and use me now or take those things and make those things serve you so that I can walk with you, Jesus? Separate yourself. So the Bible tells you in Ephesians chapter 4.27, it says, Do not give the devil, a foothold. Something in which he can control you with. A scabbard for his sword, a room in the house. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't strike up any treaties with him because when you strike up up a treaty with the devil, the little leaven that comes in will leaven the whole lump. The little bit of yeast that gets into the piece of bread will work its way through that dough and go into the whole lump. You've got to get rid of the thing. So watch out for deceptions, friends. It says in Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 6, it says, You live in the midst of deceptions. In the deceit they refuse to acknowledge me, declares the Lord. The secret to walking forward in God is to acknowledge God. To start to listen to the peace of God that that comes into your heart and to walk with him. In Psalm twenty seven verse four it says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to and to and to inquire in his temple. Where's is the temple of the Lord is here. You know, this is it. The Word of God is your guide. You take the Word of God and say, God, show me. Inquire of God. If you get deceived, if you're not sure what's happening around, ask God. Ask God. What is it you want me to do, God? What is it you want me to do? Show me. I want to be led by your Spirit. Amen? So watch out for deception. You're living in a, decept- a deceptive world, a world around you that is not quite as it seems and the plan is out to deceive you. Defense against the plan is simple. Ask God and feel the peace of God about the decisions that you're making. Amen? Let's stand.